Hello everyone. Thank you for deciding to join Dr. Richie Jimenez and myself, Caitlin Reynoso, for the One at a Time series. I'm so excited to be sharing this project with you, and I know that this is something Dr. Jimenez is also eager to share with you. I honestly have so many emotions and thoughts about this project, but this isn't about me, so I want to get into who is Dr. Richie Jimenez and introduce you to what you can expect from the One at a Time series. Dr. Richie Jimenez is a New York City-based gang interventionist who grew up in the Bronx neighborhood, Mod Haven. His dark and challenging childhood led him to the streets where he spent all of his teenage years and more involved in gang activity. I'll let Dr. Jimenez tell you himself about what made him choose a different path, but at one point in his life, he decided to walk away from the street life so that he could better himself and begin serving youth all over. For more than 30 years now, Dr. Jimenez has been saving children one at a time by negotiating with gangs to release them into freedom, healing, and transformation. Dr. Jimenez has served our communities as a gang interventionist, anger resolution therapist, guidance counselor, mediator, and much more. He is truly a light, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share his light with you. Throughout the One at a Time series, you'll learn about Dr. Jimenez's personal experience in a gang, what it takes to release kids from their gang ties, and so much more. Our hope is that this project transforms your perspective in some way and maybe even inspires you to support Dr. Jimenez in his mission. I want to share some background context about this project. I actually recorded my interviews with Dr. Jimenez in the spring of 2019 for my college senior project. I'm not gonna lie, some audio and tech issues disrupted my creation process back then, but I hope you're still able to enjoy and embrace the content and purpose in this series. At some points, you may notice that my voice sounds different, and that's because some of the recordings are original audio from 2019, and some are recordings I did again in 2022. I wanted to make sure I say this to avoid confusing listeners with the changing audio. All right. I'm excited to get into the first episode titled The Reality of a Gang Interventionist. But first, I want to give a warning and let you know upfront that some of the content discussed in this series may be considered disturbing or triggering. Some of the topics addressed include death, violence, and sexual abuse. How would people in the community describe you? They would describe me as an honest, loyal, passionate, and most importantly, a real person. Because you know how they say in the street, real recognizes real? Mm -hmm. So they're able to trust me. And they definitely see me as a person who cares and never gives up. Is this true for kids and adults in your community? Absolutely. These are young people, adults, everyone in the community, because they've seen, you know, the change. Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't such a good person when I was younger, which I guess we'll talk about, you know, later on. They saw the huge, you know, change in me. So they see that I'm a person that's about change now. Let's get into it. What was your youth like and what neighborhood did you grow up in? Well, I grew up in the Monhaven section of the South Bronx. I was raised on 144th Street between St. Anne's and Brook. As anyone knows, statistically, the Monhaven section has the highest rate of HIV infection amongst 14 to 21 year olds, highest rate of drug addiction again, uh, with 14 and 21 year olds, teen pregnancy, um, they have a huge gang problem in that area. 
you name it, they have it there. My childhood was not a good childhood. You know, my childhood was filled with uh, domestic violence, uh, verbal abuse, alcoholism. I grew up in a, in a way that I had to really survive myself. You know, I had to learn how to survive. And the only way I learned how to survive was finding my family out there on the street. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of these children are doing because family closes doors on them. And where do they find where they think a family truly is, is on the street. But my childhood was not a good one. For how many years were you involved in gang-related activities? From the age of 12 years old all the way up to about 23, 24 years old. What was it that made you decide to leave this lifestyle behind? When I was sitting on 144th in the Ortiz funeral parlor, seeing a 14-year-old baby laying in a casket because he wanted to act like us, he wanted to talk like us, he wanted to dress like us. And as I sat there, I had that epiphany, that realization that, wait a minute, you know, we're killing each other off, not only for a color of a flag that we're wearing, but for neighborhoods and corners that don't even belong to us. You know, we were feeding poison to our, you know, to our people, you know, and that's what made me realize. At that point, I had that epiphany. I said, enough is enough because getting shot didn't do it. Getting stabbed didn't do it. Getting jumped didn't do it. What did it was seeing that baby in that coffin. And I think that was it. That was the last draw for me. That's when my whole mindset changed and I decided, you know, it has to be about change, not about, you know, continuing this, uh, you know, atrocity that we've been doing. After this realization, how easy was it for you to just step away from all of this? The unfortunate thing is that I had such a high status mm. that I was able to walk out. You know, I was able just to drop everything and, and leave everything. Other people don't have that you know, that ability. Other people don't have that chance that I had because, you know, I had that status. I had what you would call OG status back then. So I had a lot of employees. I had a lot of people that were under me who just continued with the mission that, unfortunately, we as a group decided to create. There were 84 of us. 54 of them are in St. Raymond Cemetery. The rest are there. The rest of them are in prison. The only one that's out is myself and my godbrother because we chose a different route. We chose education as that route, but they're either dead or in jail for life. There was no other option. And this is the type of message that I'm trying to send these kids on a daily basis that, you know, there's no retirement from this business. It's either you're going to go to jail if you don't make a decision to change or you're going to die. And are you still in touch with some of these people that are in, in prison? Oh, yes. Yeah, I still, you know, I still meet with their families. I still meet with the children. The unfortunate thing is, I think that I've been to more funerals in the last, I would say, 10 years than I've been to birthday parties. But I still keep in contact like, with their parents. Like when I go, I take groups uh, to this thing called Listen, Learn and Live to Sing Sing Prison. So I take gang members up there so they could see what they're doing and what may happen to them. And I'll see people that I grew up with. And the only thing I could do is just nod my head because we're not allowed to speak to them. We're not allowed to engage with the prisoners. So that's that's a heartbreak for me because here you go, guys that I grew up with playing stickball and baseball and football are now in prison for life. And all you want to do is just run up to them and give them a hug and ask them how they're doing. But, you know, that's not a possibility. But yet I still, you know, keep in contact with the families and, you know, if there's any need that they have, you know, I, I try to help the families as much as I can. How were you able to develop a professional career and get back into school? Can you tell me a little bit about how that was for you? I knew 
that the only way out of that community, the only way out of that neighborhood is through education. So I got, I went, I got a, my high school diploma. I got, you know, a GED, which I, I'm proud to say that at that point, because because of my behavior, no school wanted me, no high schools wanted me. I was thrown out of two high schools um, and no other school wanted me. So I, I was forced to take a GED and that's fine. Then I went and I got an associate and I became a juvenile correction officer. I did that for 14 years. Now people thought I was crazy because of the fact is that after 14 years, I decided to give it all up because of the recidivism. I wasn't rehabilitating any children in that detention center. What I was doing was just housing them. They went in learning how to steal a car. By the time they got out, they knew how to cook meth. That's the unfortunate about, you know, about the prison system. So after 14 years, I decided to call it quits and begin my educational career. So I got a bachelor's in social work. I got a master's in Christian counseling. I got a master's in business administration. I got a master's in psychology. I got a master's in pastoral psychology. And I have two doctorate degrees. I have a doctorate in pastoral psychology and I have a doctorate in counseling. I felt that I needed because I had to get the best in me so that I could give the best for my people. And that's everyone, you know, who I've worked with over the last 30 some odd years. Cause it's been a long time. After obtaining all of those degrees and working for 14 years as a correctional officer, what led you to become a gang interventionist? Because, you know, I, I lived it. That was my life. And I want to help them choose life instead of their life. So that, that's, been, that's been the case. That, that was always my passion. When I was, uh, you know, working as a juvenile correction officer, I used to speak to the gang members and try to talk them to get out of there. And that's the reason why, honestly, I left the department with six more years to be able to retire, you know, with a, with a pension, was because I was saying, I housed them here for a couple of months. They leave here, where do they go back? They go back to their homes. They go back to the same communities that they came from. So there was no rehabilitation. That's why I decided to get my education so that I could go out there and do that, work with them in their homes, work with them in the communities. And you want to know something? I don't get paid one red cent for doing this. As a matter of fact, every child that I help, every, every airplane ticket that I buy the families to send them, you know, out of state because they're afraid to stay in New York City, every book bag, every pencil, everything that I, that I purchase is out of my pocket. I've never asked the government for anything. I've never asked anybody for anything. Now, has that been difficult in my life? Of course. But you know what? There's a greater reward. So what? I may have, you know, uh, bad credit at times. Or so what if I if I don't pay my light bill this month, but I'll pay it next month. As long as there's a child that's safe, that's all that matters to me. I can't describe to you the feeling that I feel in my heart right now because I feel your passion and this selfless way about you that just makes me really happy. So I'm so happy to be sharing this, just your experiences, your drive, your commitment to the, to the youth of New York City. Can you describe what a typical day is like for you? You ready? Here we go. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, every single morning, no matter what time I go to bed, because I get up and I pray and I meditate. After, at five o'clock, I'll take my dogs, because that's also Zen for me. I take them out for their morning walk and then I'm supposed to be in my office at 9 a.m. I get there at 7.30 a.m. 
because I like my staff. As soon as they walk in, the first person that they see, I want them to see me because I want them to feel supported, right? Because a lot of people don't feel that their supervisors support them. During the day, um, you know, I'm, I'm counseling, I'm giving uh, group counseling, I'm going into classrooms and doing workshops. I'm doing a lot of individual counseling. I'm doing like immigration clinics. I'm doing all kinds of things, trying to help the people within the community of the school. As soon as I leave my office at 5 p.m., I drive to Washington Heights where I work two days out of the week. I work with an organization there where I work as, as a team program coordinator there. So basically what I'm trying to do is empower these youth to make better choices. And the beauty of it is that six of the children that work with me in the evening there in that job in Washington Heights were former gang members that I helped be released from a certain set. So that's, I'm proud, I'm very proud of that. So those six people, what do they do? They, well, they, they work for the team program. So basically we have a thing called facilitators, which are like the adults that run like certain clubs and groups. These are the young people that work as assistants to these facilitators. And then on Tuesday and Thursday evenings, what it is, is I give them workshops, whether it's college workshops, whether it's changing your mindsets, workshops. So every Tuesday and Thursday evening, I'll give them a workshop. What do you do after finishing your job in Washington Heights? Then what I do is I go, <laughs> oh, people think I'm crazy, but I, 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 just, I just love it. You know, this is my passion. I don't ever call it work. So when people tell me, are oh, you going to work? I don't go to work. I, I follow my passion. So my morning job, my full-time job is my passion. My evening job is my passion. And then what I do is when I leave at 8.30 p.m. from the other, the other place, I'll go down to my own neighborhood in Mount Haven and spend time there. Spend time there speaking to the community. Spend time there speaking to the homeless. Spend time there speaking, you know, to everyone that, that I can encounter to let them know that there's an ability to change. So, yeah. So my day will end... I would say it starts at 4.30 and ends around midnight. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I just have the energy. I don't know how, you know, I, I think it's God. It, 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 it's, you know, my passion. It's the kids. They keep me, they keep me like, they keep me young. And I have energy. Other people will be like, oh, you're crazy. You're wasting your time. I don't believe that. Because who's going to take care of us in the future? It's the young people. And if the young people aren't cared for now, oh, beware of what's going to happen in the future. So that's, that's why I have this passion and this energy and this love and this drive. I call it a drive. You know, people that own Fortune 500 companies are like that. They have that drive. They have that mindset, right? That, you know, we could rest later. The work is now. I rest, you know, a couple of hours, two or three hours. That, that's good enough for me. You literally nap. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever considered doing this work with a nonprofit organization? No. It's, it's for-profit, right? Even though it's non-profit, but it's really for-profit, right? Because if you think about it, they say, well, we're a non-profit organization. But in order for them to get money, they have to have what? Kids. And the kids aren't really about the kids. It's about the numbers. Because the more numbers they have, the more money they'll get. So it's for-profit, even though they say it's non-profit, right? Um, and am I saying that that's all the organizations? No. Just a lot of them that went into my neighborhood, the neighborhood I grew up in. Just recently, uh, it was so heartbreaking because I, I, I was interviewed by a TV channel and we went into my own neighborhood and we took a tour of my own neighborhood and the reporter was shocked. 
and how much lack of resources are in that neighborhood. My neighborhood, the Monhaven section of the South Bronx, so they closed down recreation centers, closed down after school programs, closed down libraries. The only library they have in the neighborhood, they have a little like a trailer park outlet that their kids go in there. But they built a prison right in the two blocks away from the elementary school, across the street from the middle school, and three blocks away from the high school. So what message did they send? Right? So this reporter was in shock because I showed them all the lack of resources that are in their neighborhood. So hopefully that message got out and hopefully we'll be able to do a little change in what I've been fighting for for years. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's sad at the same time. You share a little bit about this in every response, but can you tell me more about why you do the work of a gang interventionist? Well, I was a gang member myself. Getting shot didn't change me. Getting stabbed didn't change me. Getting jumped didn't change me. Sitting in a funeral parlor on 144th and Willis Avenue for a 14-year-old baby that wanted to act like us, talk like us, dress like us. Sitting there at his wake, he was murdered. They shot him to death. And uh, I sat there and I looked around and looking around at all these other members, um, looking around at my crew, and uh, they were in the, in the wake laughing, like, you know, just like how people do, you know, conversing. And, and I said, my God, you know, why am I killing myself over blocks that don't belong to me, buildings that don't belong to me, corners that don't belong to me? We're killing each other off because of the color of a flag. This is ridiculous. And uh, to me, that was the epiphany. Um, I said, I need to be able to change these children's mindsets because they're our future. And think about it. If we don't take care of our future now, can you imagine what it's going to be like in 10, 15 years? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when these kids who've had no parents, who've had no one helping them, when they come out of prison, can you imagine how dangerous it's going to be and that's why I do this I do this because I want to make sure that long after I'm gone off this earth that there's still someone carrying that torch of change long after I'm gone you know I want to make sure that the world is left a better place because people always talk a good game oh I want to do this or I want to do that but they never put that foot forward so that's why I do this because I hear people talking a good talk I hear all these wonderful programs that go into these communities and, you know, we're gang interventionists and we're this. But can I be real with you? They don't do shit. They go in, they take the government money, they'll throw a little party where they bring a little DJ and kids come and get their faces painted. And that's what they do. They're not real. They're not going into the projects. They're not going into the war zones. They're a lot of talk. That's all they are. And I'm saying that publicly. Like I, I say it like it is. That's been a, a blessing and a flaw at the same time. Because anybody who knows me knows that I don't hold anything back. I'll let you know right off the back, and that's the truth. The government has failed these children. Agencies have failed these children. Families have failed these children. And most importantly, churches have failed these children. Sorry, I didn't mean to get political, but I just had to say that. So the way you're talking about your experience as a gang intervention is entirely different from how you spoke about your experience when you were the juvenile correctional officer. So mm -hmm. I imagine this must be a lot more fulfilling than your other role ever was. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. As a correction officer, all I did was house kids. Even though I always spoke to them, but it wasn't at this level, you know. Um, and back then, it was really about, you know, the dollars and cents that I was making as an officer, right? But I wasn't fulfilled. Now I could be broke, but I'm fulfilled. When one of them sends me a letter with a picture of their newborn child, or to let me know, look, I got accepted to college, or I got my GED. You know, if you go to my office, you see pictures of, you know, copies of GEDs all over the place. I'm proud of my kids. <laughs> I'm like a proud dad, you know, like a proud dad that'll put up, you know, like you come home and, you know, you get, you got a 65 on a, on a test. If you were my child, I put that right on the refrigerator. You know why? Because you passed. So then the next time, what you're going to do is instead of bringing me a 65, you're going to bring me back a 70. And I'm going to put that right back on the refrigerator. And it's going to keep on going up until you get that self-esteem that you know that you can make it, right? So, yeah, that, that's how it is. I'll, I'll never give up, bro. Never. This is incredible. I can't, the, your passion is, is, is like expressed just naturally. It's incredible. You mentioned retirement earlier. Do you see yourself retiring from doing this type of work? Absolutely not. I'll do this to the day I take my last breath. Those are my kids. And I want them to know that some of them call me grandpa. That dad or grandpa is always going to be there for me. I would never give this up. I don't call this work. This is following my passion. So this isn't work for me. I love what I do. Am I, am I broke? Hell yeah. But I'm rich in spirit. And rich in family. Because those kids become my family members. Right? And people always say, Dr. Jimenez, you never had any children. And I tell them, you're wrong. I've had thousands of children. <laughs> right? Those are all my kids. So... Maybe that's, that was my ministry in life, right? God didn't give me my own physical children, right? But he gave me all these other children to care for. Where does it stop for you? You give guidance on how to talk to girls. You're constantly checking in on the youth and their families. You go beyond the role of a gang interventionist. Yeah, I become dad. And a lot of them still call me dad. And that's the beauty of it. You know, it's either pop or grandpa, they call me. And it's a beautiful thing. And... Where does it end for me? On the day that I take my last breath. Because I will never stop reaching out to them. I will never stop letting them know that they are loved. I will never stop letting them know that if they ever need me again, all they have to do is just pick up that phone and call. So it never ends. That's why people think I'm crazy, but it'll never end. You know, I'm, I'm there for them 150%. Can you share about what failure looks like for you? Losing a child to prison, losing a child to drug addiction, or losing a child to the grave. That's failure. And that's what I live with on a daily basis. Because as you open up the newspapers, as you look at the news, you see we're losing children at an alarming rate to gang violence. Just two days ago, a baby in Texas, the 13-year-old that was jumped mm -hmm. by two other girls. Yep. Um, and, and she ended up dying. She just recently died. I guess she died yesterday. Yeah. After the beating that she took. Um, things like that break my heart. And, uh, yeah, and this is something that I live with on a daily basis. You know, even today, I, as I uh, was being interviewed, it was, it was surreal because of the fact is that there were so many people, right? There were guys that I had grown up with that, you know, I, I guess are recently out, but they're addicted to drugs. And, you know, they were calling out my street name as they were walking by, right? Like, you know, and uh, I kind of felt 
really broken, you know, because I'm saying, wow, if I would have had the knowledge that I have now, could I have saved them back then? Mm. Right? Because even as a little kid, I always had the ability, right, to, to have people surround me and I always had the ability to speak to people. But back then, it wasn't about positivity. Back then, it was about money and power, right? I wish I would have had the knowledge now, the knowledge that I have now back then, maybe some of those guys would have been saved. Dealing with these types of failures is probably challenging in many ways. What do you do for yourself to take care of your mental health and overall wellness? One of the things that I've learned to do is do a lot of meditating, a lot of meditation, a lot of prayer. I love any type of body of water. So if I'm feeling very overwhelmed, if I'm really agitated, what I'll do is I'll fill up my tank and I'll drive to any type of body of water and just sit there and focus, you know, in the ocean or in a river and just meditate on that. I also lose myself in books. I love to read. I'm not much of a TV watcher, but I could really, I like to sit there and I like to read. That helps me wind down. Um, believe it or not, a nice cigar will help me um, sitting in my balcony. I'll be able to, uh, you know, relax and do that. And I focus on myself. I do a lot of changing my mindset, uh, things like that. So I do a lot of focusing on that. So that I like, I like doing that. I like, I like camping. I like fishing. How often do you make you time know. for these self-care um, activities? Honestly, uh, <laughs> uh, I read every day. That's, that's like my passion. There's a reason behind my reading every day because I, I believe I want to learn something new daily. You never stop learning. I don't care how many degrees you have, you never stop learning. So I want to learn something new every day because you could take away my house, my car, my home. You could take away all the money in the bank, but you never take away what I know and what I've learned, right? That you can never take away. Um, I would say I try to do something for myself at least once a month, honestly. Is there anything you want to say that you haven't had the opportunity to share yet? Well, for me, this is an honor. I love the fact of young minds wanting to reach out and to understand and to learn something. If there's anybody out there that, that's willing to, to you know, give a hand, whether it's give a hand with your time or it's giving a dollar, you know, please reach out and please, we, it's needed. It's definitely needed. You know, our kids are dying because of lack of knowledge. Kids are dying because of lack of knowledge. You know, they, they, they're not feeling loved. They're not, they're not feeling appreciated. They're not, they're not feeling cared for. And if you have the passion and you want to help, hey, come on board. But only, only if you really want to do the work. I don't stand for lazy. I don't take lazy. If you're willing to come out and, and, and help, hey, pick up a broom and help me clean a part of needles, come on board. But if anybody out there is really, really interested in this, you know, in this work, I, I, I say this is the most fulfilling work I've ever done. I've worked in, you know, in the correctional system. I've worked in nonprofits. I worked in for-profit. I worked in Wall Street. I did all that. And nothing has been more fulfilling than this. And I think that this is what keeps me young. You know, if anybody who's ever seen me personally, I tell them my age, they're always like, what? Really? No, stop. Body, my bones are like, ouch. But my spirit is like, nah, nah, I gotta keep up. So that's it. And listen, I'm, I'm, you know, if you guys ever, anybody out there ever need help or you know somebody that needs help and they wanna get out, 
You could reach out to Senorita Reynoso. You could reach out to me, because I believe I'm a servant of the people. A poor servant of the people, but you know what? I'll be blessed one day. If you believe in a higher power, I'll be blessed one day when I'm long gone. So I don't worry about that. My riches are in him. My riches are in the kingdom. You know, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to hearing from some of you. I'm going to hear your comments, dude. I'm excited, guys. Wow. What a man. What a community leader. What a power he holds in his service and commitment to our youth. I don't know what you expected the reality of a gang interventionist to be like, but no matter how many times I listen to Dr. Jimenez's stories, I will always be in awe of how he makes things happen the way he does. Together Community Collective is dedicated to putting a spotlight on devoted community leaders who serve with love, integrity, and purpose. It is an honor to begin this initiative by sharing the stories of Dr. Jimenez. I hope that as you continue the series, you are compelled to begin serving others in your own ways or inspired to support Dr. Jimenez in multiplying the impact of his mission. If you are interested in contacting him to learn more about how you can collaborate with him, you can reach him via email at drrichiejimenez at yahoo.com. That's D-R-R-I-C-H-I-E-J-I-M-E-N-E-Z at yahoo.com. You can also find his fundraiser linked in my Instagram bio. That's at together.tcc. Dr. Jimenez and I, thank you for taking the time to connect with this project. If you're tuning into the series on Spotify, please interact with us via the question and poll linked to every episode. Share this series with a friend or leave a comment. We look forward to hearing from you. I'll catch you in the next episode.